Photodynamic therapy has become a safe, effective, and painless option for treating actinic keratosis. In part two of this three-part podcast series, The Real World of PDT, Drs. George Martin and Daniel Siegel discuss PDT coding and reimbursement, including an overview of the evolving landscape and nuances for treatment, billing, and patient satisfaction. Here's Drs. Martin and Siegel. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. George Martin. I'm a practicing dermatologist here on the island of Maui, and I've got with me today uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a dear friend, past president of the Academy of Dermatology, um, and he has headed up the Dermatology Ruck Task Force. In other words, he helps us get paid for what we do across the entire spectrum of dermatology uh, visits and procedures. And so today uh, I've asked Dan to step in and talk a little about how to get paid for doing PDT. And, and we're going to cover the entire spectrum from acquiring uh, the current therapies that we use to treat PDT with to how to get paid for PDT in AK and even non-melanoma skin cancer. What does uh, getting paid for daylight mediated PDT look like? And a few other odds and ends thrown in. And so uh, without further ado, uh, Dan, uh, go ahead and step in. And, and first of all, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. And uh, secondly, uh, your disclosures before we jump in. Okay, thank you, George. Uh, I'm a professor of dermatology at SUNY Downstate and currently service chief of Derm at Brooklyn VA. And most importantly for tonight, I've been doing payment policy for our specialty for a quarter of a century. My first RUC meeting was in 1998. So I've been doing this a long time and I've been through all the specialty positions. I've been the RUC alternate, the RUC member, the RUC advisor. And I stepped back uh, last year to be the RUC alternate advisor. As my wife said, 24 years of doing the same thing is a long time for anybody. So that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I am involved with the clinical trial that's run by a colleague at the VA. She's the PI on it. And I've worked in the past with both Sun and BioFrontera. So I've, you know, I've, I've worked with both. I don't have any financial relationships with either other than owning a small number of shares in BioFrontera. Now, George, you would ask me to talk about pricing. So I was going to cover that briefly. And let me do this by just pointing out that, you know, where do you go to get it? And first of all, I say, we're not, we get the drugs. You guys all know where to get the drugs. The question is where you go to get these numbers. So one of the things I looked at are the payment allowance limits for Medicare Part B drugs. This is essentially what you get reimbursed. I've thrown Kenalog, a triamcinolone, the generic in there to show you what how that looks. You get every 10 milligrams, you get paid a dollar and nine cents. So when you look at ALA in the form of Levulan, well, that is $393.45. Is this what you pay? God only knows, and he or she or they are not telling me because everybody seems to pay a different price. But this is at least a number that's confirmable. Uh, Amaloo's, on the other hand, you look at it and you say, gee, that's $1.61, $1.61. That's pretty cheap. And we'll, you know, in a nutshell for that, when you get Levulan, you buy a Kerastick, and it's one Kerastick per patient. It's a one-time use stick. When you buy Amaloo's, you get a tube, and the tube has 200 units in it. We could talk about that, but we only have a limited time today. But there's always interesting stories behind every field in the spreadsheets we deal with in this process. Now, 
if you look at that difference in pricing, again, I do emphasize this, and this is really an important point, that Levulan is a tube, excuse me, is one stick, but, uh, you know, uh, Amaluz is a tube, and that tube has 200 units. When people first began using Amaluz, they would call me up and grumble that they're only getting paid, they paid, you know, a few hundred, few hundred dollars, but they're getting paid a couple of bucks. As well, how many units did you bill for? There's some confusion over there. Uh, the company had a choice of what to take, and they, I think, made a good decision with the individual units because you can spread the tube over multiple patients. If you're if you're a user, you know what the, the items are like, but if you're not a user, the Kerastick, once you activate, you've got to use it on one patient. The tube itself is an intimate contact with the patient, and you can't use it over multiple patients. On the other hand, the BioFrontera product, Amaluz, is a tube, and you can squeeze out as much as you need, and you can do a whole lot of lips or ears, or if you want to treat other localized areas, you can do that, and there's some other benefits to that too. Now, versatility, again, we just mentioned, you know, multiple uses out of the Amaluz tube, and you report the number of units used. The important thing here, if you're spreading it among more than one patient or more than one day, is don't bill more than 200 units per tube. That's the number that are in there. And, you know, one tube per area when you're treating large areas like a scalp or a face, but lots of lips and ears from one tube. And again, Levyland's a single patient packaging, one stick per area typically, not shareable among users. It's a one and done. Now, coding. Now, let me give you a bit of history, and this is actually a fascinating history. And in February 2001, the CPT panel issued a code for photodynamic therapy. That code was put forward by the company at the time, DUSA. The Academy was not involved in that because the Academy was told that you know, they, the company had marketing people to handle it. And that is, again, is another story that we could take a few hours to tell. But in any event, in April that year, the AMA RUC reviewed it based on a survey of users. And at the time, Deuce had licensed the marketing to this third party that also did the CPT code creation. That's 96567, that the verbiage was photodynamic therapy by external application of light to destroy pre-malignant and or malignant lesions of the skin and adjacent mucosa by activation of photosensitive drugs each phototherapy exposure session. Now, there's some ambiguity to that. And, you know, it's just, it's not a great code. It covers everything. In the rest of what we do as derms, you get paid less for benign, more for malignant. This didn't really break that out. And again, combining benign and malignant to a one-size-fits-all does not help parsing fair pay as techniques have evolved. Now, each phototherapy exposure session, what's a session? As currently defined now, it's what goes on that day in the office. It could be the face for a thousand seconds with blue you. It could be painless PDT for an hour or so. It could be other parts of the bodies, but it was one session for the present, which is now, you know, talks about it being one per day. And again, CPT assistant, which is sort of the commentary on the CPT book where questions are raised and answered. And this is the official, it's you know, it is the authoritative reference for this, you know, want of a better term. And it talks about, you know, each session, but it doesn't really describe a session. That was in 2003. In 2010, they tried to clarify, but didn't do a good job. And they noted how it's not reported for each lesion treated, but rather per exposure session. But they still didn't really define a session. And they talk about that it would be inappropriate 
to you know use it twice if you're treating two lesions in different anatomic locations but most of us don't use pdt for lesional treatment we're using it for field therapy which is what makes it such a wonderful therapy we tried multiple times to fix both the value which was not good and go back to cpt to change the verbiage and we lacked what's called compelling evidence to go back to the cpt panel amaloo's supplied us that chance because on label there is destruction involved with the use of amylose, whereby you have to curette a lesion light enough to fracture the lesion, essentially allow increasing penetration of product, but not enough to make it bleed. But that is physician work. That is where the MD, DO, NP, or PA is actually doing the work of curetting first, applying the drug, and flipping the switch. Now, at the time we were told we had to resurvey, Amelus was quite close to clearance, so he said, we have compelling evidence. I won't go into all the gory details of what happens, you know, but we did go back to CPT, and we were able to get new codes. We actually went with the intention of getting two codes, but the CPT panel, in its infinite wisdom, told us we had needed three codes. These were created at CPT in October of 16, valued by RUC in 17, and became effective January 18. And for the first time ever, we were getting paid a reasonable amount. And this changed from per session to per day with a single daily use of any of the codes per patient. Can you use all three of the codes because the old one still exists on one patient per day? You could, but you might risk bringing audits upon yourself. This is the descriptor that precedes the codes and it talks about how to report the codes and they talk about a treatment session is an application to all lesions within an anatomic area, e.g. the face or the scalp, for which the BioFrontera product Amelouz is covered for, though you also can use the Levulad Kerastic on the arms. It has that additional on-label coverage. And it says, with or without debridement of all pre-malignant hypokeratotic lesions in that area, followed by illumination activation with appropriate light source to the same area. Now it says for all pre-malignant hyperkeratotic lesions, which means if you're using the 7.3 or the 7.4 codes, you probably should be at least curating, there should be at least, let's say, two hyperkeratotic lesions, because it talks about all of the lesions. Lesions is plural. CPT likes the nuances. But here's the old code, and this is the code that you can see the price, what you get paid this year for that in the office. That's what it's been for a long time. And, you know, it ties up a room for a while. It's not the most cost-effective, but, you know, we work with what we had. We did what we could do on there. And again, this code is the original one, but it now is per day. And the other thing is it just says pre-malignant lesions. In the code change, we got rid of the malignancy. Why is that? Malignancy often means more work. You're going deeper. You're expecting more time, more duress to the physician. And we felt if and when malignancy comes along, we might be able to get better codes or different codes. Now, the two new codes, what differentiates them? Both of them, as opposed to the 96567, require the physician's involvement. The 96567, your staff apply the drug, your staff do the activation. With 96573, you apply the drug and you flip the switch. And for 96574, you do the debridement of those lesions by tartar curatage or abrasion. You flip the switch after you you have applied the drug. The important thing is that you are heavily engaged. When you look at the difference reimbursement, the reimbursement seems pretty fair on this.
Now, critical points here. Levyland's approved for face and scalp and arms. Amaloo's approved for use on face and scalp. But codes are agnostic to drug and light source. You can mix and match if you desire to. Neither company will try to sell you on buying the other person's drug or light. They want to, to have you buy both. But the lights essentially are the razor, and the drug is the razor blade on there. But you can pick and choose whichever combo you want to. Another critical point is that, again, each code can be used once per day per patient, and you could mix and match. So, for instance, you could do the face with one, the scalp for another. But doing more than one a day could make you an outlier and maybe a person of interest. And you have to think also, you know, if you're using more sticks, you'll get reimbursed for them. But if you're using more than one stick per code, you face the risk of the payer wanting to see the note, auditing, delays, and payment. So again, it's up to you what your practice pattern is. I'm not going to tell you to change it. But again, you're, you're cleanest and least likely to be audited picking one code per patient per day. And the flip side is many patients don't want to do a whole lot more because you make them miserable if they get your standard reaction that you get and they're all swollen. Sometimes they even get, you know, achy, feverish the next day. So I tend to stick to one anatomic area. Uh, each code can be used once per day per patient is critical. And we talked about, I guess that was a dupe on there. Uh, so let's shine a light on daylight PDT. This has become very popular in Europe, but it's not been cleared for such use in the USA. But in essence, it's like you would otherwise do PDT. You prep the patient and apply the drug. You incubate. Then you apply chemical, not a mineral sunscreen, because you want light to activate it. And you go outdoors. If you do this, you could try to get the J-code covered, but the red flag here is that if you haven't billed one of the 965 codes, one of the three, it's probably going to bounce because what are you doing with it if you didn't activate it? So right now, Daylight PDT will possibly be a money loser for you. If the patient's not actually paying, you may be left hang holding the bag for the drug. How I did this when I was still in private practice, I love painless PDT, which was invented by George Martin. I prep the skin, I'd apply the days we only had Levulan, I just put that on, have them sit under the blue U for an hour, and the tough folks can augment that with daylight time afterward. And I would tell them that if you go out in the sun afterward the next day, instead of just being red and a little swollen, you could be swollen like a pumpkin that's been sandblasted. But when it all heals, you're gonna look wonderful. A lot of hand holding, but it really was worthwhile. And if you want to do daylight or mix, the important thing is probably to do an activation. You could do as I would do, you know, activate in the office for the on-label time and send them out into the sun to finish off. Or you could have them go out in the sun for a while and come back to finish off under the light. Regardless of which way you choose to do it, if you've put them under the light for the on-label time for the given light source, you can bill the appropriate PDT code and get paid for both the drug and the treatment. Now, I'd like to talk about non-melanoma skin cancer treatment. This is another thing that's popular in Europe, but it's not yet approved in the USA, but it does work well. Uh, there are trials that are ongoing, and you can try using malignant destruction codes with the J-code if you want to, but it is highly unlikely the J-code will be covered. There's an expectation when you build the J-code for either a Levulan or for Amaloo's, that you'll do one of the photodynamic therapy destruction codes that are there, but the malignant destruction codes usually don't work. Some private payers may pay you, Medicare will not. Or you could use the malignant destruction codes and just generously on your own expense, throw in the ALA. 
which at first thought, if you remember the prices from the early slides, you think, ooh, that's a lot of money to give away. That's more than they pay me for the destruction. But there are circumstances that might work. And again, sometimes the patient might pay you out of pocket if you're in certain parts of the country, but I wouldn't bet the farm on that. So let's talk about these. When I talk about malignant destruction, these are the codes, the 17260 to the 17286, three families of codes, and all based on different anatomic areas. So what's interesting here is that this is one case where I would say I would prefer the red light over the blue light because the red light penetrates deeper than the blue light. So you really want the red light source because your, your cancers are going to be deeper than an AK typically is. So Levulan, one stick, one patient. So if the patient has a few small you know, basal cells in the same area, that's still a lot of money. You know, Three basal cells gives you $120 a piece of product for those three basal cells, and you may not get paid a lot more than your cost. On the other hand, with Amaloo's, you use just what is needed. So since the current codes only cover pre-malignancy, the destruction codes would be my preferred choice, and I proceed treatment with curatage to disrupt the surface. And again, I would include, in this case, I wouldn't do instant, but I would include probably for one to two hours and then activate. But what's real nice, if you've got an area of the back where you have four, five, six basils, we all have these patients who spend too much time out, you know, you know, out working outdoors without a shirt or spending too much time at the beach. So you've got, you know, all of these few dozen in one field. How would you report it? Well, when someone comes up with the question, the first thing I do is I think of MUEs. And MUEs stand for Medicare NCCI Medically Unlikely Edits, which is a polite term. Originally, they were called medically unbelievable edits because sometimes people build volumes of procedures that were unbelievable. And if you look at the malignant destruction codes, the number that you can pay, get paid to do in a given day are pretty darn high. And this is what is allowed. This is the one that if you stay below these, you stay below the audit number. I am not encouraging you to go out and build 7, 14, 20, 23, you know, 50 basal cells in a day. I think if you build that under any technique, someone's going to want to look at your charts and talk to the patient, and that person may carry a badge. But if you've got a few in the same area and you've done some curatage, you've applied drug, you let them incubate and treat, you know, build what you've done. Or as my mentor in the RUT process, David McCaffrey, used to say, document what you did, do what you document, and report that which was medically necessary. And if you've destroyed seven, eight, nine basal cells on the back, so be it. Report them. Now, that, of course, just goes down to, you know, thinking about this, thinking about being realistic. Don't change your practice pattern. Decide that you're going to, you know, do this in everybody. It's not a time saver. It just could be a way to save from scars, get better outcomes, maybe get better cure rates. But as Molly Ivins once wrote, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Now, E&M services. If a day that you see a patient and you provide PDT to that patient, and again, if you're counseling the patient, obviously talk to them before you do it. You mark lesions, and if you're doing lesional treatment, you, but your staff apply it and activate the light, then you'll use the 96567. And since there is no physician work in that code, you can bill an E&M for your services that day. Unfortunately, and again, ideally multiple diagnoses would be better like pain, dysesthesia beyond AK. Unfortunately though, when you use the new codes, they have what are called RUC vignettes, which are descriptors that describe pre-service. And pre-service is very simple concept. 
when you do a biopsy, you tend to go, you anesthetize, you, you know, you go ahead, do the biopsy, you get, stop bleeding, you put a dressing on, you write a note. That's intraserve. Well, everything up to the writing of the notes, intraservice time. Pre-service, you walk in and talk to the patient. You never walk in with a knife and go whap and then just walk out. That pre-service time, talking to the patient, finding what's going on, examining them is what's in there. And you shouldn't bill an EM unless there's a separately reportable cognitive service is that's documented and reported. Just to get an idea, I don't expect you to read these, but the handout, George, you're welcome to share this with the audience. This just talks about what you do. And most procedures have this. You review pertinent data, review pathology, you look at a history. Again, this is everything that's going on before. And much of this is would be covered or overlapped or duplicative if billed with an EM. And that's just, the, this is the 96574 code. Again, the same thing, you identify them, you grade them, all the stuff that would be otherwise part of the cognitive visit. So you can't really bill a separate E&M unless you've got something unrelated, contact dermatitis or neoplasm of uncertain behavior outside the treatment areas. And why outside the treatment areas? Because the areas you're treating, well, you're examining those. So you're really not doing a full E&M on those. But if you're, again, with the new coding system, the decision-making is still there. So if you've got a, someone has a funky nevus, you've noticed that you're worried about a melanoma. Well, that, that discussion of a neoplasm uncertain behavior, that is a, a moderate or level four in column one of the risk table. And when you go to column three, you discuss the options for that patient, be doing a biopsy, being a derm tech assay, being some other you know, one, one of the many assays that are popping up with various spectroscopic approaches. But if you discuss the biopsy, that's a procedure with defined procedure risks, infection, bleeding, and that's moderate in column four, column three. So you have a level four E&M, but only if it is medically reasonable. And again, if you're thinking, hmm, there's always something, well, maybe or maybe not, depends on your practice pattern. But keep in mind, if everybody has the same angioma you've reassured them about on their left shoulder on a given Monday and you're audited and they decide to look at your everybody you've seen that day, you don't want to have that happen. Be clean, be honest. We all do well enough. Subsequent visits after PDT are all reportable as the codes are zero day global. So even if you've done your best to educate the patient, your staff have made a follow-up call, but the patient calls the office and says, I'm miserable. This is probably the worst you'll ever see. And it's easier to get them off the phone and bring them in to look at them. The next day, that's a reportable visit. And if you've got to hold their hand every day for a week, that's reportable too. ICD-10 codes, actinic keratosis, one code, L57.0. Okay, that's under, uh, that was ICD-10. That's right, ICD-10. We're in 10 now. The rest of the world's on 11. We'll get there hopefully in my lifetime, because I want to live forever. Uh, other diagnoses are not routinely covered at present. But one of the really good things is that AKs are site agnostic. So even though one drug is, is covered for scalp and face, the other for scalp, face, and arm, the reality is that you know, you're not being asked on the claim to tell where you've done it. Unlike when you've excised a basal cell or a melanoma, where it's site-specific, these are site agnostic. Uh, Dan, thank you for this incredible overview of an evolving field of reimbursement for PDT. This has been an exclusive podcast with the Dermatology Digest. Find more at www.thedermdigest.com. Thank you for joining us.